So did you see that tweet I just sent you? Uh, no. I Oh, really? <laughs> wait. Oh, yeah. Wait, no, that's a Discord thing. I, you sent it to me. The, it, it's up a bit. Here it is. The Jonathan Frakes. That was the guy we watched last week, right? Yeah, and look where he is. He's back. He's back at it. He's on the set of the new Factor Fiction Beyond Disbelief 2. So there was a there's a thread on Reset Era about like, hey, what are some things that scared you as a kid or whatever? And people are you know talking about like the Dark Crystal and um, ET and you know just the 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 typical things you see of like, oh, that was actually really scary for me as a kid. Right. And someone went on about Beyond Belief, like some episode that terrified the <laughs> shit out of him. He's like, I can't believe like they just played that on like regular TV, right? Like that was such a freaky show. And it's like, no, it's <laughs> '90s garbage. No, that's not. It's so, like, low-tier G-rated horror. It's so bad. Like, it's like, it's, what if we had the shittiest Twilight Zone episodes and then made them worse? They could have literally aired this on Nickelodeon. Like, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but watching this show as an adult, it's like, oh, they didn't bother with anything. Like, mm-hmm. there is no, like, blood. <laughs> There's no... Like, when a ghost shows up, it's normally... Like, it mischievously flickers the lights, and then the person goes, There was a ghost here! Honest! Yeah, I feel Um, like the old Goosebumps show was scarier. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, that Uh, one. That that one actually got kind of, like, twisted at times. Do you remember the one with, like, the pool monster? I do not. It was, like, it it was, like, a, it was, like, an amalgamation of, like, flesh that didn't have skin and it looked like a skeleton covered in meat and it would come up out of the water and pull you into the pool and drown you that's pretty fucked up um yeah i used Um, to have such a weak stomach for horror when i was a kid like the the episode like the halloween episodes of the simpsons would freak me out i think a lot of that there was a lot of like body horror and gore and stuff like yeah they would mix that stuff in um and i definitely couldn't handle that but there was some of the stuff that like scared me as a kid were, were like like that for sure. Um, really was always unsettled by E.T. and the Dark Crystal as far as like the way things looked. I don't know. And now I really like like horror stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm super all about it. You know, if there's a new horror movie that's apparently really weird, I, I usually want to watch it. I will avoid any of the gore stuff. I just, it does nothing for me. Now, if, if it's like, like, I rewatched The Thing uh, last weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... And that movie's fantastic. It's been many years since I've seen it. And I was like, man, this is so good. And, like, the, the body horror stuff in it is executed so well, partly because, like, the practical effects are just astounding. And you're just like, this is a work of art. It's freaky. And that man's head is, like, sprouting lobster claws. But it is art, goddammit, because someone had to make this and stop motion this. But also, I feel like it's intriguing body horror. Like, it adds to the story. It's not like Saw, where, whoa, we're going to chop your legs off or whatever, right? It's not, it's not uh, gore porn. Yeah, you know, I don't care much for the gore stuff. Um, I think body horror can be interesting. I think there's a a time and a place for um for literal gore to come up, I guess. You okay there? Yeah. Okay. Um but I don't yeah, I don't like slasher movies where it's like just excuses for that. For the most part, I feel like like Midsummer had some really good gore, but you built into it, right? Like, it was almost like a climactic part of the movie. Uh, like, when those people fell off the or jumped off the cliff and it splattered into the rocks. Like, you were waiting for something unsettling to happen this whole movie. And finally, it did. And it was almost, like, cathartic in a way, even though it was just gross because it's in the middle of the day and they're, you know, doing close-ups on the bo- bleeding bodies. So, like, stuff like that works really well when it, it when it adds to the scene, when it adds to the movie. Uh Aliens vs. Predator Requiem is an interesting kind of movie when it comes to, like, the slasher thing, because it really is just a shitty teen slasher, and there's a decent amount of gore in it. There's also really bad lighting, so it's kind of toned down. But I almost I almost appreciate it for being, like, hey, what if we took these, like, iconic franchises that people love and just put them in a, a literal teen slasher, and there's gonna be dumb idiots, and they're gonna die, and we're gonna have, like, dogs getting killed, and kids getting killed, and, and pregnant women getting killed, and it's just gonna be, like really edgy and stupid and i guess like high school me was was into that and thought it was a pretty fun watch i just watched a review of a movie called censor have you seen this Mm-mm. uh it's an interesting concept it's got uh it's it's like 
uh, I don't remember when this was. I want to say the 80s. And there was this thing over in the UK where they're getting like really heavy with the, the film censorship. And so this is a story about a lady that works for the censor board. And while screening a movie, she she has this like weird um, experience where stuff in the movie reminds her of something that happened to her as a child when her sister got abducted. And then she thinks that an actor in the movie is her sister now as an adult. And she's trying to like track down the director and find like where this information came from and how the story was, was filmed. Cause she thinks it might be connected to something that happened to her as a child. Oh, wow. And it's like, there's this interesting hook. Um, it, pretty good review. I don't even want to talk too much about it more if, uh, if anyone out there wants to watch it, but it's like, oh, okay. That's what I want for horror is like suspense and intrigue. And then a yeah. scary situation, and it's like I don't, I don't like uh, someone gets a the 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 car explodes and the the metal shoots through their head and cuts the top of their head off and their eyes googly out and it's like okay neat. It's just like it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I know a lot of the stuff I try to write is is sort of the. That kind of weird hook, right? Where it's like this doesn't make any sense. Is it supernatural? Am I going crazy? Um, I feel like there's there's more to mine there because it's you got that big psychological aspect than just like fear of being hurt, fear of being killed. Um, I'm working on a story right now called the Museum of Curses, which is about a museum of curses. Like all the all the stuff in it is like cursed objects or, or places or whatever, and like the, shit, yeah, and fart cursed farts and so like the characters are in the museum but they can't they're like the, the things are getting freaky like I, I'm, I'm borrowing some D curses as far as like unfortunate things happening to them that are mostly just obnoxious like one guy keeps finding wooden spoons because apparently that's a D curse is like your character keeps finding spoons but whenever he wants to have soup he can't find a spoon and i was like that is so delightful that i want to put this in here or uh, you walk through a door and even if there's people behind you you always close the door and that's like that's just so annoying, and so I'm gonna put that in here. Like I'm like just painfully ripping off some stuff from D and D and another fantasy. Um, but they can't they can't leave the museum. They want to leave the museum. It's weird. They don't like it, and it's stuck. And they're like, well, we're here till midnight. We have to like weather this out. And you know the tone of it isn't so much like spooky, scary, but it is sort of like yeah. But what the fuck's gonna happen next? And I don't know yet because it's not done. Uh, but it's been fun to write and trying to balance this like suspense and kind of like this is really weird i don't understand what's going on but i understand like the logic behind it and uh a little bit of like comedy like the in romance like the one person that's running the museums this cute girl and the main character is kind of like yeah but she's cute right like you know should i go hit on her or something so it, it's got a lot going on it sounds like you're having more fun than anyone that works in hollywood i'm having a lot of fun with this the the word count was supposed to be like 2000 and i'm well over three <laughs> So I don't know. It's not gonna. It's gonna get disqualified from my my writers group challenges. But oh well. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your own work, though. Yeah, I'm not sure about. I might try and cut it down once it's done. Just submit because I won the last challenge, and it's like oh, I'd like to go for two in a row. But I also, I told myself this year that like when I write for these challenges, I'm going to not hamper myself with the word count because. I do that, and then the stories aren't as good, and then when I go back to them, I have to, like, refix them and make them, you know, flush them out more. And when you're not in the mindset, you're not doing it then, it's a lot harder to do. I think accurately, you know, matching the tone of voice, trying to match the, your headspace and make things make sense. And it's like putting puzzle pieces in, right, versus, like, right now I can just build this and go wherever I want. And, yeah, it's too long, but at the end of the day, it'll probably wind up in a self-published collection, or maybe I'll send it to, like, a, a magazine or something. And I'd rather it be written start to finish, like, the right way the first time versus coming back three months later and be like, okay, what was this story about? How do I fix this one? Nah. So, speaking of stories, though, um, I, I've been rereading uh, some Dragonlance books. I Why? Read, uh, so, I don't know. Um, okay, that's valid. Because I, the last couple of books I read were were for my writers group. We were sharing some novels around, and so I kind of wanted a bit of a palate cleanser from that. But also, I have I have some of these old series on my bookshelf from when I was in high school that I haven't gotten rid of yet. And 
remember really liking this one, but also some of the ones I really liked when I was in high school turned out to be kind of shit, and now they're at Goodwill. So, this one has been touching and go up and meaning to reread it for a while, and then it's like, let's let's just do it. Let's, let's rip the band-aid off, and if they're not good, I'll get rid of them, and that's fine, and I'll have more room for alien toys on my bookshelf. So, keep saying the word so, like an asshole. Uh, I, I finished the first one, and was was fairly surprised at like how much I enjoyed it. Like, the writing isn't amazing by any means it's very like utilitarian you can tell that the audience is probably people in high school maybe 14 to 17 it's like that kind of boys adventure book as far as things go but the adventure itself is like really fun it's lots of dragons and like you know save the world shit because it's high fantasy i think the cast of characters is like really interestingly diverse not just like oh it's an elf and a dwarf and a human but like no two of the humans are 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 basically black characters you know darker skinned uh one of the characters is deaf and has one of the characters has like basically really bad uh purple tunnel can't use her hands very well and so like there's a there's a diversity to the cast that a lot of fantasy books don't have as far as you know these people overcoming certain challenges or, or certain uh stereotypes and prejudices within this world that adds like a shitload of dynamics that because i'm re- reading like you know this the, the R.A. Salvador books with Drizzt to Erden and stuff, and, like, like, oh, look at this cast of characters. You got the elf, the human, the dwarf, the barbarian, and whatever, right? They're all basically the exact same person. They just shape slightly differently. Like, the, I don't know. The, as much as I like those characters, they're, they're so empty compared to what what Gene Rave's been able to do with this group of characters. And, and I, w- I was really surprised to go back to this and be like, oh, this is actually got some really good stuff like i I was i was um, excited to go through the next one i want to be excited for something (laughs) that's fair (laughs) it's all i i'm so like bummed out with a lot of stuff right now i'm trying new things but it's like everything just seems to be coming up really dry lately sure um the new wow patch came out on tuesday Oh, how'd that go? I well, interesting statistics about it. Uh, the time it took. So this is the first patch of the expansion. Okay. Okay. So it's nine point one. The time it took from nine point zero to nine point one is almost as long as the entirety of Warlords of Draenor. Oh wow! Like it took a very long time. Uh, the amount of content in the patch is there's like there's a raid. And a dungeon. And I guess there's a little bit of story that you can wrap up in two hours. And so, like, I was, I'm reading people's comments, and it's like, they put in a new zone, but it's kind of just an expansion of a zone that's already there. Just they unlocked half the map, so it doesn't actually feel that new. And it's kind of the same activities in that zone. But there's also, like, so many different currencies and rep and stuff that if you want to get anything, like, your bags are just going to get full of currencies. And it's like, I don't know. No one seems happy with it. But I was reading some comments from people that are a little more casual where they don't even bother with the rating and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I don't, I resubbed and I'm done. It's, I, there's nothing for me to do. I'm just going to let my sub lapse again. And I don't think I'm going to come back for 9.2 cause it's just, it feels so empty. And it bums me out, <laughs> you know, reading these. Cause it's like, I, I feel like everyone's been complaining about WoW for a while. I know I have. But this mm-hmm. patch especially, it's like we've been waiting for a long time and this is the most underwhelmed anyone's been. Uh, did, did I send you that Carbot animation? Uh, you might have. Uh, Carbot did a thing about, it's called This Is Wow. And it's like a, a cute little, like back when Wow was new and you're playing with all your friends and it just like, it's kind of this like time-lapse thing where it's like, and then they introduce the cash shop and then this thing and then that, and then this expansion and that expansion, and that expansion. And it, and basically like all your friends are gone and there's no reason to log in anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because he's usually, he, he's not, uh, what's the word? He's a fanboy. But he'll say, he'll point out bad things. Like, he complains a lot about Overwatch balance. You know, like, there's a lot of cartoons about how, how, uh, weird some of the decisions are. 
but he's never been like this negative before. <laughs> and oh, wow. It's kind of like it's kind of resonating with a lot of people where it's like, oh, wow, even Carbot's doing this because uh, it's just it's so consistently bad lately. Well, and it um, sucks because like you're paying a decent amount of money that per month for that game, right? Like all of a yeah. sudden, the patch, the patches are supposed to be like these big events. I remember when uh, some of those raids came out, and at a certain point when I was playing, I was never like far enough into the uh, into the raiding to like see a lot of the the end game stuff. But they would affect PvP, and I was doing some of that. Um, you know, new zones were always welcome. Like when uh, God, what the fuck was the one? I think it was tier six, and like it was like the first time there, like it was a whole island of daily quests, basically. But there's a new new five man, a new five man heroic, um, a lot of blood elves on it. I think, but like that that was a deep area. You know, you get to explore. I was on a PVP server, so like I'd get a you know me and the guild would go, we'd group together, get all our PVP gear on, and just kind of like troll around. And it was a new sandbox to play in, right? And so the idea of of waiting this long and you get like a sandbox, but there's no toys, it's just sand. Like that sucks. Well, yeah, it's the sand expansion pack for your sandbox. It's just yeah. a bag of sand. Uh, there's some like weird design choices they made. There's some weird balance choices. Like, there's a system where you can craft your own legendary item, and huh. it it's a. I think it started off okay, but you have to really grind to get like the best in slot kind of stuff, right? And there's an RNG component to which recipes you unlock because you basically you, there's a bunch of different legendaries to work on. But you can only wear one. So it's like you look at it and it's like, oh, okay, for Death Knight, I kind of like that shoulder piece that lets me do a thing. Or I like the uh, the helmet that gives me an extra summon. And then you have to keep doing endgame content and hope that that recipe for the helmet drops. Okay. Oh. So <laughs> there's this weird, like, you could keep upgrading it. So now in this patch, they, they tweaked it. So it's easier to get the one you want, and also you can gem, you could like socket gems to tweak the stats, which completely throws off all the math. And so there's people that spent like three months getting the legendary that they needed, and then it's like, oh, that's not the best legendary anymore. Well darn. And it's just, it, it's uh, it it feels like you're punished for playing the game. Like time spent just kicks you in the teeth because they put in the catch up mechanics too fast. Sure. So it's like the best thing to do would be to wait until all the patches are out and then play the game. Like that's really, it doesn't feel like a living world you want to experience. It feels like, oh, they're, they're going to waste my time and ask me to pay for it. So no. Yeah. It sucks. Cause like, I feel like there's a certain degree where the game's always been a little bit like that, but not to that point. I don't know. Just like the, like I said, the patches I remember coming out and, and the new areas, the new mounts, like, even if I didn't do a lot of in-game stuff, there was always something for me to do. And, you'd, you know, you'd spend at least a couple weeks there because, if nothing else, it was new dailies because that was how you made a lot of your money. And uh, you'd play those till you got bored. Or there's a new faction to grind rep and maybe there's a pet or a weapon or something that's cool you want for role-playing. Like, it, it always kind of felt worth it. It, it, it. It's an MMO, so I feel like it's always kind of wasting your time. Like, the whole point is, like, how do yeah. we make this so you play a lot, and it's the only game you play? You're, you're but, totally right there. I don't know. It, it is funny how my my great memories of World of Warcraft are, like, newbie at level 70 with, with all my friends from high school and their older siblings, and we were just fucking around. We were running raids. We were running PvP. None of us were really good, but we had a blast, and it was cool, right? Like, it was all new to us. And then, like... A bunch of shit happened in the middle, and then, like, the last couple months of me playing, just, like, pretending to be Pokemon Mastered, catch the non-combat pets, catch the armor I wanted, run through old dungeons just to see how far I could get. You know, things like that were... I was really making my own fun at that point, because the game certainly wasn't gonna do it for me. Also, the story's been bad. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Um, You know how Sylvanas burned down the tree and killed all the Night Elves? So they just like they they wrap that up so anticlimactically. Um, so so Tyrande became the Night Warrior. She did some sort of like ritual where the moon blessed her with like superpowers. Okay. Okay. And she's been like tunnel vision focused on hunting down Sylvanas. 
now you you look into it and it's like this is a curse that will like completely consume her and there's no way to stop it and she's she's basically a danger to herself at this point okay and it's like we have to find Toronto and stop her and so you go looking for her and you find where all the night elf ghosts are and so you free them so that makes her happy yay and then there's a cutscene where she finds Sylvanas and they fight a little bit and and then she the night warrior power just kind of disappears for no reason and Sylvanas says looks like you're not the night warrior anymore and flies away so now she's not in danger anymore it feels like um you know you're watching like a a show that's uh episodic and so like each episode has to end with the status quo being you know rebuilt regardless yeah. of what happened like south park yeah. or something and it sounds like exactly like that which is what you want in your giant epic fantasy game where you're the hero and you save the day. Well, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to find an equivalent of, like, what, what happens in, in Lord of the Rings when they go to Minas Tirith and there's, like, the steward of Gondor or whatever, um, and he's in charge or whatever, and they say, like, well, Aragorn's the rightful king. And so he said, oh, okay, and they let Aragorn have the crown and then there's a happy ending. And that movie ended early. That did happen, didn't it? It well, no, it didn't. <laughs> there no, was like I a war remember. and stuff. It's been a while. It's no, it's just like there's usually, usually when you're telling a story, you'll like, you'll set things up for conflict later or a conclusion. You don't just set things up and then tell the audience, and then it concluded. Right. You know, you have to walk through it. So the weird thing about the Dragonlance books, like the lore of those, is that. Because it's a really big world and a lot of people write it. And Dragonlands is sort of like off-brand Dungeons and Dragons. I think it is a tabletop game that this company made. They turned it into a brand. Um, but so the different writers like their own characters. And if something crazy happens and changes in the world, they'll usually just kind of like soft reset their characters. Like I know there's the books I have uh, that are like all the gods are gone, magic's fucked up. Things are weird. They got to kill the dragons because the dragons are bad. And then that ends and uh, all the bad dragons are basically dead. And I think like a bit of magic comes back. And so then the next series shows up and uh, it kind of continues on. But like that person's characters died in like two series ago or they got old because time has passed. And with magic kind of back, she just sort of soft resets. I'm like, oh, this person's back to life. He doesn't know why, but he is. And it's sort of like, well, that's my character, and I want to write my character in, in this version of the world, right? Like, this is my D&D character. Uh, same with the certain spells, certain, like, oh, uh, Goldmoon's not old anymore. She got all her youth back, so she can go on an adventure again, and she doesn't know why, but she's going to do it anyways. And it's it's weird. Like, if you read a lot of the books, it's like this weird Dragon Ball Z status quo horseshit. But if you pick, like, a series or a trilogy... And you're like, this one is the one I want. And you don't do anything else. Like, it, you can get a decent story out of it. I just, I, I fact-checked it. It looks like Dragonlance actually is d and I, I, I think it's a different... No, it's... Wizards it's, of the Coast? Yeah, Wizards of the Coast published it. Um, It was big during 2.0 and 3.5. I was going to say, because it's funny how, like, these books and then the D&D branded ones the the ones that salvador writes like there's so many similarities between the two as far as the world the rules the magic the dragons the the different creature species uh and so much of it kind of goes back to lord of the rings like fantasy authors have just been shamelessly stealing from tolkien since tolkien wrote his books oh man i, I it was interesting i was listening to a conversation about lord of the rings and they pointed out how uh, he had all these ideas and they're very interesting. And some of them were taken from like folk tales here and some were taken from these and these were original over here. But now it's like everything's just derivative of it because it got popular. Yeah. And it's just weird how like you, you can't have a dwarf that doesn't have some kind of uh, genealogy that goes back to Gimli. Yup. In like anything like what? It's that's just what a dwarf is is like a gimli in every setting. It's frustrating too because, like, I have I have ideas for fantasy stories, you know, either world building or hooks or whatever that would be fun. 
But then it kind of comes back to like, well, if I have dwarves, am I stealing from D&D? Am I stealing from Tolkien? I mean, basically, I'll be stealing from Tolkien, but it's just what to what path will I be stealing from him? Uh, and I don't know, yeah. like, are people happy to keep reading the exact same dwarf characters over and over again? Or the same well, fucking elves or the same barbarians and, and ogres and orcs? Like, Now, I do see more variety in orcs and, like, and, and actually elves. I've seen different kinds of elves. There's just, there's something about dwarf where it's so basic <laughs> that it's hard to, it, it's hard to reinvent it and then, like, give it a different name, you know? Yeah. Like if you if you got really creative with a dwarf, um, like what's the most creative dwarf? I'm thinking the Marvel one where it was very tall. So Salvador has one that's a druid. Okay, uh, that's kind of fun, and and you know he 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 has green hair. He dyes his beard green. He doesn't like going in caves because he's a druid. He he chucks the animals. He can travel through trees. Uh, he's a bit weird. He doesn't you know like. I don't want to say he's like mentally handicapped, but he's written like he's a bit dim. Uh, okay, which is un- which is unfortunate because like oh the least dwarf book character in this you know like we're really gonna like change what a dwarf can do as far as abilities and in-, in Dungeons and Dragons. It's like well we're gonna make him kind of stupid. And it's like because you know he's not a real dwarf and I don't know. It-, it almost goes to a good spot and I like that character. He's he's charming, but it there's a certain almost mean spiritedness to him. I think where it's like well we had to. We had to rein him in some way. You don't want to. You don't entirely want to be this dwarf. You maybe want to like see him because he's like you know like a zoo animal. But you don't want to be that dwarf. You want to be, you know, the battle hammer dwarves who, who have the axes and the mithril and all the other shit. And they like killing orcs. I want. I I think if I wanted to write an original kind of dwarf, I'm tempted to skew into like beast man, where it would be like a weremole. Oh, that would be cool. Like, they could still be stout, but basically they'd be, like, giant naked mole rats. That's a great idea. But at that point, I feel like someone would look at it and you say, well, here's a dwarf. And they'll go, like, no, that's a rat man. Yeah. You know, it's like that. That's that's where it falls apart, where, like, as soon as I start to get creative, it's like, well, no, then it just becomes a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure how to. (laughs) With dwarves, you're kind of stuck. Um, and also the beards, like they have to have a huge beard and we have a dwarf without a beard. It's like, that's just a short man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know what you do with it with an interesting dwarf. I, I've written one li- this year in a short story, uh, and I had some fun with that, but he's very much like a dwarf dwarf. Uh, I would say the only <laughs> thing that sets him apart is I had been reading the great Gatsby at the time and was trying to write his narration of like his home kind of like nick does in the great gatsby just because i wanted to see if i could do it and so that was fun but not you know anything totally new as far as uh characters go you know what so i like deep rock galactic yes that leans heavy into the dwarf we all know and love mm-hmm. uh but there's even like throwaway lines where they'll like make fun of elves and it's like well wait i want to see elves in this sci-fi setting yeah, that'd be fun. It's like if they did elf DLC or like goblin DLC or something, I would literally just love to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. I feel like dragons are another one where every, they all kind of go back to Smaug or, or you know, other proto dragons, right? But there's there's very specific things that like make a dragon a dragon in fantasy books. And... uh World of Warcraft to me almost has more interesting dragons than a lot of other ones just because of like some of the time travel shit like the the brown dragons can do. Uh but even then the the dragons in, in World of Warcraft like are really similar to the ones in Dragonlance to a degree and uh I don't know, it all it all kind of comes back to the same spot, right? Like like there's when people are like I don't like fantasy books, and it's like I I don't blame you. Once you get into this brand of fantasy, you are dealing with a lot of really established shit that people are just assume is going to be there. Yeah. The the whole Emerald Dream thing, right? Like, in in World of Warcraft, there was an evil green dragon fucking with that, right? Yes. So, in the books I'm reading, there's an evil green dragon that takes over an area and makes it all very dreamlike and horrific, and they have to go kill him in the second or third book. And now these came out in the 90s. So I don't know if Warcraft stole 
on purpose, but like that's some pretty hefty overlap, right? Oh, I Warcraft is mostly like IP theft. Yeah. Um, everything in Warcraft is just built around tropes to some extent. I think when they brought in Chris Metzen, he really helped give them a little more original thought. But Chris Metzen's also a D&D and Marvel nut, so a lot of his ideas were basically just comic books that he already read. Sure. Um, Just with a more interesting structure tying it together, I guess. It's funny, too, because like, so much stuff kind of steals from Warhammer, and the Warhammer steals from stuff, and then all kind of, a lot of sci-fi goes back to, like, Dune and then Foundation. Like, these big seminal works of science fiction. And, uh, it, I don't know, part of it's kind of cool, just, like, the impact Lord of the Rings has had on the fantasy genre, or the impact Foundation has had on the sci-fi genre. At a certain point, though, it is like, can we try something new? Like, can we take the concept of a dwarf and really fuck with it and make it into, like, moles? Like, I think that is a really cool idea. Like, even if you started out with your base kind of dwarf character, they're short, they got beards. Um... But then they they're, they're also they literally turn into moles and they're like also mole people like you you know you you start with the familiar what people want and then you add something that I haven't seen before at least that idea I haven't like that to me is how you like you know create new mythos for this stuff this is how you're supposed to to advance it not feel like oh man I want to write Gimli so you know what I liked was Guild Wars two okay it, did you ever read any of those books. No. Those are fun. I, I might recommend those. Um but they they didn't necessarily follow the Lord of the Rings architecture. There's uh like they had an equivalent of gnomes where they're small and short, but they also like looked scary, like they had pointed teeth. Hmm. Um they there weren't really dwarves, like the, I think the dwarf equivalent might be rolled into like some dwarf tropes and some orc tropes. Where they're very uh, battle focused, um, but they're just the most clever like engineers too. Okay, and so like they make the best weapons, <clears throat> and then instead of elves, there's a species of plants that were yeah. new to the world, and they're like I think the species is only three years old or something. Like it was like a really new discovery kind of a thing. Um, then instead of Torn, they had Char. Well, no, that's what I was talking about. Now, instead of Torn, they had Norn, which were just tall people. Well, I thought they had the cat people. No, those are the dwarves. Those weren't dwarves, they were cat people. Uh, no, there's a lot of dwarfism mixed in there. I played one of those. Yeah. Shuhala was not a dwarf. Uh, I don't know. No way, they're like... I guess, like, in some of the armor, maybe? Like, they, they kind of remind me of... of uh, we get the, the armor smith, but also, like, the attitude orcish. and stuff. I get... I, maybe. I, I, don't, I, I mean, never really got a lot of dwarf out of them. Like, I guess that's the thing, is that it doesn't fall into these clearly defined tropes. So the fact that we don't agree on that right away, I think, is maybe the best selling point for that world. Yes. I guess that's my, my point, anyways. Yeah, because like the, the plant people were were clearly like elvish, but then they were also very not elvish. Like they they picked and chose the the little bits of of things that people would you know understand and be familiar, but then added a lot of stuff that wasn't. And that is, at the end of the day, like I I think how we're supposed to do it. Yeah, Guild Wars Two had a lot of really cool stuff in it. So I don't know. I guess once in a while they do try new things. Hmm. Um. What was the other game? Wildstar. I feel like they tried to play with tropes and put a couple on their head, but it also felt really derivative of WoW. <laughs> so there was like a lineage there too. Sure. Um, they, in fact, in in Wildstar, they had two different races of humans. There was like a one for the good faction, one for the bad faction, but they're all humans. But it's like the bad ones all acted like blood elves, oh. where they're like snooty and wore red and gold a lot. And it's just like the the good guy humans acted like they were um from Starcraft. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> there was there was kind of a vibe of like like well we we got space trucks. We're and we're we all we're gonna be rooting to and stop those guys. Whatever. 
One thing that I do really like uh, that some of these fantasy books do, this would be Dragonlance, Warcraft, and um, uh, D&D, is like the, the whole, some of the afterlife stuff, like demons are literally real, like Mount Hyjal, you go and fight, you know, Sargeras, right? And the demon, well, not be not him exactly, but uh, one of his like lieutenants, like, I don't know, there's, there's something like so universally like fun about the concept of angels and demons in a fantasy book because they're not really godly, they're just really strong. And so when they show up and you're like, oh shit, we gotta go kill some demons or we gotta go through one of the layers of hell to rescue our friend and, and find the talisman and then just slaughter a bunch of freaky fuck monsters. Like, I really enjoy that a lot. I know it happens fairly frequently in the Drizzt books. Um, I want to say it happens a bit in the Dragonlance ones, maybe not the ones I'm reading, but other ones I have read. And then uh, the only Warcraft books I have are the, the old uh, Richard Knack ones where... They go back in time and help the night elves fight demons. Like that shit. That shit's really fun to read. Like it's it's kind of stupid. The logic's all over the place, but just from like a spectacle standpoint, it's neat. I'm trying to play play in our head. How did we get here? Um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings? Question mark. Uh, we I, we meandered a bit. Um, but yeah, I guess. I, I something that I'm just kind of bummed out about is E3 still. Sure. Um, it's like something kind of sank in a little, like a couple days ago, or just kind of hit me how like bad all the trailers were. And it's not like I demand entertainment. It's more like the stuff that people seem the most excited about. Um, they're also the most derivative things. Like people are really excited about another Left 4 Dead knockoff, and it's like you got really tired of the last seven. Yeah. Why are you excited about this one? Uh, or what was the other one? Starfield. Did we talk about the Starfield trailer? I don't think we did. Uh, they put out a trailer, but it's just it's a cinematic trailer. It doesn't show gameplay or anything, so we still don't know what the game is. And to me, that's a bad thing. Like, you, you want to know what the game is in your game trailer. Correct. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, and the guy was adamant that it's not a cinematic trailer because they said at the start that it's using the in-engine graphics. But it's like, that doesn't show gameplay, though. It, it's like, right. are, you, are you amazed to find out that 4K textures exist? Because that's not new. Like, I don't know why anyone's excited about this because we still don't even know what the game is. We don't know if there's, like, more than one planet. We don't know if you control your spaceship or if it's just, like, a hub and you load the next level. Like... We have so little information about the game, and people are all excited. It's like, I can't believe it's exclusive to Xbox. I'm going to buy an Xbox just to play it. And it's like, play what? And so just seeing the number of people that act that way, it's like, it's it's depressing because it's only going to encourage this behavior more. It's funny, though, because that's true, and I think that happens like in every medium, right? Like, a oh, trend certainly. happens, and then people chase the trend. Like freaking that, the uh, what was the 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 dark universe or whatever, right? With the mummy and 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 that shit. Like, oh, we're gonna do our own Marvel stuff, right? Oh, uh, that, well, that and also like young adult novels. Oh God, like yeah. you, you can't publish anything else. Um, I think even music too. Uh, definitely production trends. Like there are certain genres of music that I swear to God, it it sounds the same because they're. They're using the same drum samples. They're using the same guitar setup. You know, they're, they're using the same chord progressions. And it's like, yeah, these are two different bands and I can tell them apart. But when someone's like, this sounds like the same band, it's like, I, yeah, if you're not like really into this specific hyper genre thing, you, it's hard to tell this shit apart because they're all trying to mimic like the, a ba you know, two bands ago that had a really breakout thing they did that people were really impressed with. And now, everyone's trying to follow suit it's um it's frustrating like mental cruelty dropped a black and deathcore album this year it's really good they're not the first people to do that but it is kind of becoming a trend and then uh lorna shore are dropping basically the same kind of album and i'm listening to their new song and it's like they're it's so similar to the other one but i think inferior because the song structure is not quite as interesting but if I played you a clip of both of those songs, you might not be able to tell them apart. I guess that's the problem right now is like 
these games all look like you can't tell them apart. Um, did you watch pregame discharge? Uh, I did not. Uh, spoiler alert, that's my glad space this week. Uh, but he, he made a joke where he, he left the screen black and said, and they also showed that Assassin's Creed ripoff, knockoff derivative thing you guys excited about. And the screen's just black. And he's like, oh, wait, I, I didn't play the video. Is it this one? And he just like played footage from a game. He's like, or is it this one? Or is it this one? And it's like just every single game runs like Assassin's Creed. And it's just, it's not it's not an exciting thing to share but they really want to pretend it is and it's like i i know i know you're doing that's what an ad is is pretend our thing is cool i just hate seeing so many people viscerally agree and get excited and fall for it because it's like i guarantee you guys are not going to remember this game a year from now right okay uh, mostly because I'm bored, but I'm curious. Like, so these are the two two bands I was just talking about. I I just picked random timestamps where like everything's going on. Okay. And if you listen to these, you know, just for like ten seconds, twelve seconds each, I'm curious if you how much you can tell apart other than like their vocalists sound a bit different. Okay, I'm on mental cruelty now. That this could be the same album. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a definite similarity there. It's it's frustrating because in a in a genre of music where it can already be somewhat difficult to tell bands apart, a lot of them are like, you know, we should all incorporate the same stylistic elements at the same time, like we did two years ago. It just oh, I don't know when like when like mumble rap got popular. Yeah. And then everyone just sounds exactly the same. Where it's like, we're just have a slow beat. What? Like, this is a popular trend? Like, it's, it's weird. I don't know. I hate, I hate, uh, I hate enjoying things because I have, like, enough taste to know that things taste bad. It's like, I wish I was stupid like everyone else. That makes sense. I don't know. Like, I feel like there are times, like, with comic books especially, like, there's so many bad comics. And sometimes you run into a bad comic where you're like, it's so dumb that it's having fun. Like, it knows it's kind of dumb. And it's sometimes you can turn off that, that, like, the the taste is bad thing and just enjoy something and and put it down. I would... It's weird, though, because I feel like that's the way about most Marvel movies. Like, I watch them once or twice. I don't need to see them again. They're they're not, like, mentally stimulated or anything. They're just kind of fun action comedies. You know, yeah. Over. Like, and they don't need to be anything more than that. And then there's all these, like, fucking think pieces. And, like, people get so pissed off. Oh, so-and-so's cast is so-and-so. And it's like, who gives a shit? I was just thinking about this the other day where, like, I think, I think the Avengers is a well-done movie. Mm-hmm. Like for it's an action movie, but it's well done for what it is. But I would rather, and I would get more out of watching the Mario Brothers movie again. Sure, because there's like there's more to think about. It has multiple objective flaws and just right. poorly done sequences, and it's so much more interesting to watch. Like, you know, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's weird, and it's like, we'll never get something like that again, because it, it wasn't like a trendy thing that caught on, but that's maybe what makes it more entertaining, is that it feels like this anomaly. It's this thing to treasure now, because it's rare. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's kind of why I really lashed onto like, Prometheus, where it's like, hey, it's in the alien universe, but we're not telling an alien story. We're telling something, you know, very philosophically different, and yeah, it's a, f- a flawed movie. There's some boneheaded decisions in it, but I found it really interesting to think about, like, like what it was dealing with, the the themes that were going on, the, the mystery box shit that Damon Lindelof really likes. Like, I don't know, it, it felt new and refreshing as far as sci-fi horror goes, and I really liked it for that. Or, like, Speed Racer is a dumb kids movie, but the way it's shot is so fucking compelling. Like, it, it, it stands out. And I, I think that uh, makes it really special. I really need another Speed Racer. That movie is so well done. Yeah, it, it's not like Mario where it's so bad it's fascinating. Like I, Speed Racer is actually well done, 
mm-hmm. and it's doing a very specific kind of novelty thing, but it's succeeding. Did you uh, did you see the new uh, Pixar movie? Man, I tried. Oh, you didn't I, like it? No. Did you? Yeah, I thought it was cute. I bounced off of that so hard. I, I think I got 15 minutes in. Um, and it's, I don't think it has the greatest opening act. I'll, I'll give you that. But okay, uh, it just, it I, just I do think I, I didn't. But I mean, it didn't. It didn't look good. It was so. I thought that movie looked great. It it's felt gorgeous. so plain and empty. And it's like, so okay. I I have a soft spot for the ocean, um, specifically marine life and the visuals of under the ocean and the variety of under the ocean. And the smell of salt water mm-hmm. and coastal towns. And I like seafood. And I like the music that's played by cultures that develop around water. And I like boats. And I like lakes too. And I also like rivers. Okay. Um, these are all things I like. So I'm watching this, and it was the most boring looking water I've ever seen. And all the animals and stuff looked like the most basic DreamWorks-ass cartoon characters that didn't even have to be fish. It's like, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I didn't like the characters' faces. Like, they're so plain and, like, animated so, like, blandly. Like, this is clearly Pixar's, like, sea team that did The Good Dinosaur. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm just, I'm watching this and it's like, I'd rather watch Finding Nemo again. I, I could just pop that in and be more entertained visually. Sure. Um. Yeah. I. I couldn't. I, are you su- Are you suggesting I should try again? Should I get through the opening? I mean, if you don't like the visuals of it, they don't change. They don't go away, right? Like okay. those are the visuals of the movie. Uh, I think the coastal town once they get on land more is gorgeous. I. I like the atmosphere of it. The story is so like low stakes and charming and cute, and I had a really good time just kind of like relaxing and watching it because. No one ever totally feels like they're in any danger. It's just like this brief, whimsical bit of summer that these two kids have in a in a town they've never been to. Like, it's really interesting as far as picks. I, I would say, like, you you compared it to The Good Dinosaur, I would almost maybe more compare it to, like, Brave, where it's, like, it's just a different kind of Pixar movie. Like, I really like Brave, and a lot of people didn't, because I think they wanted something really different out of that movie. And when I was like, oh, they're telling a fable. That's cool. And then I think executed Brave, that really well. Yeah, Brave might have a problem with marketing. I think a lot of people went in expecting a different kind of movie. Yeah, they were I, expecting like this big bombastic Pixar movie. Yeah, I'm like not, I'm not like, sure. No, her yeah, mom turns into a bear and she tries to fix it. Like it's it's that's what it's about. And and this movie is kind of the same where it's not this big bombastic thing. It's these two kids basically running away from home and hanging out in this town and they don't want to like anybody to know that they're sea monsters and so they just you know mumble around through it and have fun and experience stuff and meet some friends and oust the bully you know it's it's i'm kind of really low stakes i'm kind of just really i'm tired of pixar right now that's fair um but it's like it's like an every other pixar movie rule because it it's not like old pixar was better because frankly i think coco was like one of the best ones they've ever done Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like okay, they still got it, but it's like they have a formula <laughs> where it's like the first one was like okay, what if the what if the favorite toy wasn't the favorite anymore, and it was okay, that's your hook. And it's okay, uh, what if an ant didn't fit in with the colony? It's like oh, okay, that's your hook. And it's like okay, what if the fish got lost in the ocean? And it's oh, okay, yeah, that's a hook. It's like what if they forgot to turn off the last robot on Earth? Okay, yeah, it's a hook. And now it's like, what if if there's a fish out of water story? But he's an actual fish. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's like the same pattern, but like less creative each time they do it. That's fair. I will Um, say, like Coco had, I think, a first act problem as well. I I will stand by. I like Coco. That movie's great. That first like ten to fifteen minutes, I think, was kind of rough. That's very fair. Um, I, I also, I feel like this, the opening part, you kind of feel like you know where it's going to go and the nature of the story changes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, is there like, is there a story to Luca? Does it like, does something actually matter or is it literally just like a fish's day out? It is 
So the, the two characters are trying to win money to buy a Vespa because they think if they have one of those, they can explore better. Like, there there really is not okay. a lot to it. And they make some friends, and that's it, That's kind of what it's about. Like, there's there's really not a lot going on. A couple people have, like, kind of compared it to, like, really whimsical, like, Ghibli movies where it's... I, I don't know if I entirely see the that there because I feel like Ghibli's got usually something fairly specific he's going for um it, it, it the movie is supposed to be like hey these two kids on summer break right like when you're young and it's summer and you don't have your parents around as much in this case they ran away and you're getting into mischief and you're meeting friends and that's that really is the core of it it, it is a very silly cartoon movie and i think if you go in with that expectation you will like it because it it's fairly good at what it's doing. It's just what it's doing is not the bombastic Pixar whimsy. I just I got to the part where like he was hurting the fish and he saw a boat or something and it's like and he had like a daydream about what it would be like to leave the ocean. And then his mom called him back and was yelling at him about stop daydreaming about leaving the ocean. And it's like I wanted to pull my hair out and it's like I could watch I could I, I'm on Disney Plus right now. I could turn this off and I could watch Little Mermaid or an ocean documentary or Finding Nemo or Finding Nemo Two, Finding Dory, mm-hmm. and it's like like I, I'm like I'm I'm sitting here like like okay I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna watch this. <laughs> it's I guess like, it was repulsing me. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> I would I would strongly suggest giving it like another fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, once. Once he meets uh, the other character, whose name I cannot fucking remember off the top of my head anymore, uh, it picks up a lot. And all of a sudden, there's a new dynamic for the characters to explore. And then once they start actually going to the town, uh, there's a lot new, more new dy- dynamics. But yeah, the, the, the beginning of the movie is a bit rough. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I, and I felt this way about Rhea, too, when I watched that. We're like, man, this first act is kind of... Oh, kind of I was, doing some stuff that's not very good. Yeah, I was surprised that Rhea turned around into something a little more entertaining. Yeah, I was too. Because, um, man, that first, like, 15, 20 minutes of that movie are pretty bad. And also, like, I I really hated Moana. <laughs> I don't think there was anything great in Moana. Really? Except oh, God, th- except the, the graphics on the water. <laughs> I could stare at that ocean forever. That's how I, I really got through like the movie. Moana. There's so many good songs in that one. No, they're not. They're all awful songs. Except they're, they're not. The, there's the two songs I like, and I hate the rest of them. Okay, admittedly, I only remember two songs, and it's like Aww. the main, the main sing along one, and then the one the Rock does. I didn't care for the Rock one. It was cute, but it it's like, cute. but it's a little annoying. I guess. Um, Moana songs. I forget what they're called. I like. Uh, what is it? Uh. Where you are? No, how far I'll go. I think that's, that's like, the big one. Yeah, that's her main one. Yeah, but that's I also good. I kind of like we know the way. Oh yeah. That's um. A good one. Yeah, I like that more than we are welcome. Oh, and then I guess I am Moana is kind of like a reprisal of how far I'll go, but it's a little mm-hmm. different. That's good too. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna stop saying the songs are bad. They're not. They're not <laughs> bad. They're not my favorite. Sure, that's fair. It, but it's a disingenuine, disingenuous statement to just say they're bad. So I'll stop saying that. The movie's bad, and I hate it, and I hate you. So okay, that's also fair. Um, I hate the pig, and I hate the chicken because they don't mean oh, anything. They don't mean anything, but they're cute. I disagree. <laughs> the I, chicken was so fun; it was dumb. Uh anyways, what was my point? I, I have Disney Plus. There's no reason I can't give Luca another try, so I'll um I, I'm I, I will. You, you made it through the first act of Rhea, but not the first act of Luca. Uh, well, to be fair, I was watching Rhea with somebody. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like I don't want to be that guy to say let's change the channel. Yeah, we watched Rhea as a family, and like I think I was like six minutes in, and I was I didn't want to be that guy either, but I was like, oh no. I I uh, one thing I, don't I didn't know if I like this. Yeah, one thing I didn't like about Rhea. Is I feel like it dwelt a lot on pessimism, and I know the moral of the story was to not be pessimistic, but I feel like they don't do enough to hammer it in. So I feel like for a child watching, they might take away a lot of the pessimism. There's a lot of clumsy stuff. It, it's Once not the perfect. Dragon shows up. Cecil's great. Like I really like 
the movie took off in a way better direction once it kind of like got to where it was you know things were moving along um the the setup was really really rough and the ending was fun like there's i thought the characters were really fun i like their dynamic i wanted like more character in that movie like if that movie was 15 minutes longer of them just on the boat chilling between places and like playing chess or whatever like fuck that'd have been such a, a much better movie just for like a few more minutes to let things breathe maybe yeah it it wasn't perfect but it was fun i i recommend that more i i do think luca is the uh, is quite a bit better of the two but i will also admit the first 5 to 15 minutes of luca are nowhere near pixar's best opener what's your favorite pixar opener i feel like i have to say up yeah <laughs> that was a trick question you can't that's the only one that comes to mind when i say the question I think Wally has a pretty striking opening. Um, I think I think a lot of them do. I I like, um, I like most Pixar movies. Honestly, they they have a really good batting average. Um, relatively. Did you like Monsters U? I don't know if I saw that one. I feel like I that's do. hit and miss with people, but I actually thought it was pretty cute. It's it's a series of sight gags. It's not super clever, but sure. it's like. There's a lot of, uh, if, if anyone's been to college, you just recognize, like, cute things in the background. Like, there's one monster where it's basically just, like, a stick with a bunch of tentacles coming off of it, but each tentacle's wrapped around a coffee cup, and the whole thing's trembling while he walks. Nice. And it's just, it's like, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. It, it's, the movie is a bunch of those sight gags. What did you, did we talk about Soul when that came out? Um... I well, I think we did. I think I that had structure too. problems too, but I enjoyed yeah, it. I did too. I actually watched it twice. I don't like body swap stories, and so when like a lot of Act Two was like, "I'm in a cat now," I'm just like, "Oh no!" Yeah, you know they didn't dwell on it quite as much as I thought they would. It could have been a lot worse. It it could have been worse. It was still a bit much. Um, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of very cute themes in that movie. Yes, and I I feel like. Uh, I don't know if that's a movie that kids will appreciate that much because I feel like you have to have some perspective in life to relate to what life is. Yeah. So when you're like your biggest concern is that uh, Christmas is still two months away. Um, like I don't know that that movie sinks in the same way. Yeah. But I but... I liked the messaging a lot more. <laughs> I thought there were more too. interesting parts to it. I think the uh that. Pixar's handling of the afterlife was like superbly Pixar in the best way possible. The, the emphasis on music was also great. I'm such a fucking sucker for music. The soundtrack to that movie is fantastic. I hated the music. Really? That's oh, the kind of that's the kind of jazz I don't like. Oh, but I had that, so much fun with it. But I think I, I want to say this works for the movie's benefit. I literally I don't like that kind of jazz, and it did not get in the way of the movie. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's like sure. as as someone that doesn't even care about that, I feel like the movie carried itself where like there's enough justification for the music to be there that it's part of the story. So it functions correctly. Yeah. And it's like, oh, cool. Um, I think my favorite scene, though, was the the barber. Yes. And I love how like he asks about the barber and it just turns into this like conversation that everybody like gets sucked into. And it's like, I, I, when you take the time to ask those kind of questions, it's like you really do walk away with stuff. And it's like, yeah. I hope someone watches this movie and thinks about like the the people in their lives they take advantage of or take for granted. Yeah, for sure. There were really, really good things in that movie. I love the, <laughs> I love the gags too. Where like the 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 one spirit that can't get their spark or whatever, um. And like all the the great world leaders that couldn't, it's like <laughs> like I love like angry Lincoln. Oh yeah, and like angry Gandhi and Mother Teresa, and it's like <laughs> that was that was like a quick little series of gags I didn't expect in the middle of the like with the tone of everything. Yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoyed Soul well enough. I would say like if if I'm gonna rate a Pixar movie on like did I cry or not, uh, <laughs> you know, Soul and Luca. Didn't didn't get me there, but they were fun watches. Whereas, like, you know, Coco was a, was a, a mean little bastard in that regard. 
But most yeah. other movie Pixar movies don't actually make me cry. I feel like some of them try a bit harder than others. I cry at the end of Up. I don't. Um, I think my mom cries at the beginning of Up. Uh, and I think she cries at Toy Story three. There's a couple tear jerky moments. I yeah, I Toy Story three. I saw the tear jerky moments and I was like, I get why people might cry at this, but I'm not going to. I don't know. I to me, Toy Story didn't need two or three. Like I, I, they're fine. I they do very little for me compared to Toy Story one, which I think is like this totally enchanting movie. That's perfect. It is. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I they're they're very sequely, but they're not the worst sequels. Mm-hmm. I cry at the end of um Jurassic World two Fallen Kingdom because the movie's over and there's no more dinosaurs to see. <laughs> uh I've been very negative today. I'm sorry. Do you, do you want to do a glad space or anything you're glad about? Yeah, I'm proud to be uh what what's the word? Cameron? I'm proud to be Cameron. Um There you go. No, there's a word for it and I don't remember. But anyways, uh, pregame discharge is back, and, and it's on its own channel, so you don't have to subscribe to um, Destructoid anymore. Fuck Destructoid! I'm gonna unsub. I remember. <laughs> I'm really negative. I'm glad about this. Fuck Destructoid. <laughs> <laughs> They're boring. Unsubscribed. Okay, so I I think I've sent you these before, but you know Lyle Rath, right? No question mark. He's this great voice guy. Like he, I sent you his music channel. Um, Tim, sounds. You send me a lot of things, and but I no, no, I'm, I'm about to it. describe it. Are you familiar with Sounds Goodish? That's familiar. Where he gives like audio tips, but it's like it's not technical stuff. It's just like more practical advice. Okay. But he, Lyle Rath just has this amazing voice. But he does these skits where he'll do like video game news. And it's like this over the top, <laughs> like he, there's like an ongoing narrative, um, that he's like this godly being that surpasses the demons to steal the orb of the tomorrow. And with his third eye, he'll peer into the future to determine which games are and aren't worth $60. And it's like, and then he'll just like review trailers real fast. Um, and he, he took a break for a while, but he came back for a big E3 special and it was just the best part of e3 was watching his video of it after watching all the things myself anyways Mm -hmm. um so i just uh yeah if if you don't subscribe to sounds goodish at least subscribe to to pregame discharge cool oh you know we'll have to talk about next week is they've been doing like the some mlpg5 releases as far as designs and actors and stuff oh have they yeah that might be something to look into yeah that would be fun to discuss um so I have I have two potential uh, glad spaces. One's a brownie and one is booze. Which Yay. one do you want? Uh, I want brownie first. Okay. So my uh, my local grocery store, like pretty much all local grocery stores, right? They have a have a small bakery in there, and I usually like I'll get their cookies. Um, sometimes they'll have like cupcakes and, and donuts or whatever. But I generally like they they have like decent cookies you can buy, pack of, like a dozen of them, and and they're they're better than most store bought stuff and. Maybe a little more expensive, but I, I would say worth it. So I'm walking by the other day, and I'm like, oh, I'll get some, I'll get some cookies. And they have a, a glass kind of counter with like the really good stuff. Like they have like you know small cakes, and 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 they have this, they have this brownie there, and it's huge. It's it's I would say it's four inches by four inches by two inches thick. It's covered in chocolate chips, and it's got a layer of uh, caramel between the two big brownie pieces. Ooh, and I'm like, I want to try that. That looks that looks really good. Uh, and it is. It's fan-fucking-tastic. I love it so much. I have not finished it, because I'll, I'll, like, take, like, two bites, and I'll be like, God, that's a lot of brownie I just ate. Like, this is a big, chonky fucking brownie, so I'll put it back. And so I've been, like, slowly eating this brownie over the course of a week that's, like, two brownies, like, glued together with caramel. <laughs> it is so good. They got other kinds I get to try, so I'm like, when I finish this, I'm gonna buy another one. I'm gonna eat that over the course of, like, a week. And, uh, I don't know, just like like finding a new dessert to eat, right? Like, it's so fucking fun, and it, it it's kind of, it's made me very happy. I don't like caramel. What's wrong with you? I, I'm just very negative today. 
Joe doesn't really like it either. <laughs> but I love a good brownie. I mean, you you can use caramel correctly. It's just not my go-to. They have other non-caramel ones. They have like a cookie dough one and just like a chocolate chocolate one. Which but I mean, I'm, I'm sure by the way you're describing it, it sounds like they use it correctly. I, I would it's, love to try that. Yeah, I, it's made me happy every time I grab it, take a bite, put it back. I'm just like, oh, this is good. I'm, I'm going to go do something else now, but I'm going to be happy for a bit. I have this mental image of you falling into a volcano like Gollum, but you have the brownie in your hand and you're just like, you take a, <laughs> you're like land in the lava, but you're still like taking a bite going, mm, I'm being naughty today. It's my cheat day. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, those are worse ways to die. <laughs> Alrighty, do you want to wrap it up there? I think I want to apologize for being a sourpuss. Oh. I don't know. I think this was kind of a fun episode considering it, we had no plan and we meandered all over the goddamn place. <laughs> uh, we did, but yeah, I hope we had fun. I hope you guys had fun listening. Yeah, definitely one of those. I had fun talking. I hope people have fun listening. If not, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, let's um, let's look into what what is it, Gen 5 now? Yeah, I, yeah, I've seen some of the GIFs and stuff. It looks, I don't know, it looks really cute. I think my favorite part about it is that it doesn't look like the same, which I think that was my thesis today, is I'm tired of the derivative stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, they're actually brave enough to do a new thing. So, yeah, let's look into that, and we'll have a chat next week. All right, awesome. Yay. Bye, everybody.